Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's good to be back home again. We had a wonderful mission trip, for those of you that have no idea why I just said that. And a group of us, ten of us, were in uh, Tanzania, either en route or there, for 17 days. And we got back Thursday afternoon, you know, and it's interesting because if you paid attention to the news on Friday, they mentioned this terrorist alert. And I wondered if I did something or said something that (laughs) caused a problem over there. But it was really a wonderful, wonderful trip, as much as... um, I love being there, and I have friends there. It's really, really good to be home with family and friends and back at St. Luke's. But let me give you just an overview of the mission trip from my perspective, because my mission trip was slightly different than the rest of the teams, because I had other responsibilities um, that I had to attend to. We arrived. We arrived. Uh, we have problems with Mike. I mean, I have to use the real one. Oh, okay. Is that all right? Okay, good. Um, We arrived on Tuesday afternoon, and uh, our luggage was not with us. And uh, I needed to have the luggage, number one, because I was leaving the next day, and number two, we had study Bibles scattered throughout all the luggage that I was taking to Embay. It's one of the reasons we drove there. So by God's grace, the luggage arrived Tuesday night, and Bill and I went over with the driver, and we got... Uh, the luggage uh, and uh, brought it back to the place. I probably got to sleep at 10, 30, 11 o'clock after traveling for 30-some hours. And uh, the next morning woke up, left at 7 a.m., and traveled for 17 and a half hours driving to Embeya. And arrived about 12.30, and I began the clergy conference Thursday morning. Did the clergy conference Thursday morning and all day, Friday, all day, Saturday, traveled with them. They like to show me different parts of the Diocese of the South Highlands. And uh, so traveled down to, uh, uh, to Kuyu. I'll tell you more about that later, uh, near Malawi. It's interesting. Last year, they took me to the border of, Z- of Zambia. This year, they took me close to the border of Malawi. I wonder if they're trying to get me out of the country. But anyway, had a wonderful time there. Uh, got back after uh, a great day and uh, then had dinner at a couple's home. I was gone from 7 in the morning till 9.30 at night, except for an opportunity to get cleaned up and changed, and uh, preached three times Sunday morning in the cathedral in Mbeya. And I just want you to know, okay, for those three services, I was in worship for six and a half hours. I don't want to hear any complaints here. And it was, it was really great. Then we had dinner at the bishops, drove to Morogoro the next day, which is most of the way to Kibindu, met the rest of the team uh, at Kibindu on Tuesday. We camped out in tents at this remote village three nights. I haven't done that in 30 years. Slept on the ground uh, with a light sleeping bag. Had a great time there. Uh, we set up a temporary clinic, and there was one doctor and uh, two nurses and one kind of nurse. And uh, several of us volunteered, like, for example, I was doing malaria testing. um, And we saw between 700 and 750 people in two and a half days. 
and uh, and it was amazing. And uh, we had a children's program. Uh, a number of people in our team worked with the children, both Christian and Muslim. Did a couple of presentations of the gospel, which was great. Uh, everybody just pulled together and had a great time. After Kibindu, uh, we drove uh, Friday late morning, early afternoon, and drove to Makumi, which got us there after dark. And Makumi is where there's a safari. We did a half-day safari the next day and then drove back to Dar Saturday night. I got up Sunday morning, preached in the cathedral. Uh, we went to Mwenge Market, <clears throat> had dinner that night, got to bed, did the clergy conference Monday and Tuesday, and left Wednesday to fly back. That was my trip. It was great. I mean, the Lord just opened so many doors in the process. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. When I got back, I was exhausted, slept all Thursday night, and I've been doing great since. So the Lord just blessed the trip. But um, just wanted you to know that uh, because having been on that trip is going to somewhat influence what I say this morning, of course. And you'll be hearing from one of our other team members later uh, a little bit about uh, her perspective on the trip. On the way back is when I wrote this sermon, and I looked at the two readings, and my first thought was, these two readings have some things in common, some similarities, and then there's also a difference. But if you will, the theme is similar, and at the early service we do the psalm, and the psalm carries with it the same idea, the same theme. And let me tell you one of the differences, because they both deal with how we do life. How we do life in this world, particularly when it comes to the resources that the Lord's blessed us with. The parable that Jesus tells is really applicable to everyone. When Jesus tells a parable, it's a story that you're supposed to take a look at your life and apply the principle or the teaching that comes out of the parable to your life. Ecclesiastes carries with it the same message. Here's the difference. The difference is is that Solomon is writing and reflecting on his own life. Solomon was David's second child, if you know the story. Solomon was the one who built the temple. He was blessed with wisdom, because that's what he asked of the Lord. He was famous for his wisdom. And yet later on in life, he began to make bad decisions and he spiraled downward. When he got towards the end of his life, After living life in the world and doing all these things that he did, which I'm going to read a little bit of that to you, he gets to the point in his life and he looks at everything that he's done and he says, it's all vanity. It's all vanity. It really has not produced what I thought it was going to produce in my life. And my life is bankrupt. Now, this is the most successful, wealthy, powerful person of his day. And that's the conclusion that he had come to. Because he ended up living for this world, the wisdom of this world, as opposed to God's wisdom. Which really, God's wisdom means that we seek him. And we seek what he would call us to do with our lives... When we're living our lives, all the blessings, all the resources, the talent, the treasure, whatever it is about our lives that we're asking God, how do you want me to live? What do you want me to do with everything that you've blessed me with? As opposed to the world that says, how can I get what I want? 
How can I get pleasure? How can I get happiness? So let me read to you some of the excerpts from Solomon's life so you get a picture of this guy Solomon who wrote Ecclesiastes. The first comes from 1 Kings chapter 4. And I invite you at some point to read the story of Solomon. God gave Solomon very great wisdom, discernment, and breadth of understanding as vast as the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else. He composed 3,000 proverbs. That's where we get the book of Proverbs. And his songs numbered 1,005. He would speak of trees and of the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows in the wall. He would speak of animals and birds and reptiles and fish. People came from all the nations to hear the wisdom of Solomon, including the Queen of Sheba. They came from all the kings of the earth who had heard of the wisdom. Now that's part of the picture of Solomon. Let me read one other verse from chapter 10. Thus Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. So that's the picture of Solomon in a thumbnail sketch. But then he started making bad decisions. Let me read to you from chapter 11. King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh. Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the Israelites, You shall not enter into marriage with them. Neither shall they with you. For they will surely incline your heart to follow their gods. And Solomon clung to these in love. So he made these decisions because he was so powerful and so wealthy and so successful. He started having these multiple wives. Among his wives were 700 princesses and 300 concubines. Well, that right there will tell you that he really lost his wisdom. I have enough trouble with one. She could probably say the same thing about me. But, you know, all these women, you know, not only enticed him, but then brought in these foreign gods, and Solomon's heart started swaying, particularly towards pleasure, as is obvious, but then these other gods, and he lost his way. He lost his way. And so we see in Ecclesiastes what that looks like he looks at his life, everything he's accomplished, everything he has, and he says, it's all vanity. It's all vanity. It means nothing in the long run. It's like pursuing the wind. And so, as he begins to write in Ecclesiastes, this is, this is uh, chapter 1, verse 14. I saw all the deeds that are done under the sun. In other words, I've done it all. I've done it all. More than anyone else, I've done it all. And see, all this is vanity and chasing after the wind. Do you understand? We pursue so much of this in the world. All the advertisements, all that is attractive on television, are the things of the world, the pleasures of the world, appealing to your desires and your ego and your lusts, whichever word you want to use. But the word that's used in both the Old Testament reading as well as in the New Testament that Jesus then focuses the passage on is greed. You know, Jesus sets the stage with verse, 12, verse 15. 
Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. You know, greed, the reason that greed is so popular is because it's all about me. Ultimately, we perceive that if we're successful and we're wealthy, that we become famous and we're popular and we can get whatever we want. And greed is self-serving. It's an insatiable hunger. We've got to have more. We've got to have the best. It's all about me. I'm serving me. And by the way, you don't have to be wealthy to have this mindset. It doesn't matter at what strata or level in society you are. You can live for things. You can live for pleasure. You can live for ego at whatever level. I've seen it in foreign countries and the United States. And your eyes drift from the Lord and instead of asking Him how you should live, you live for yourself. You live for the world's possessions. Instead of living for the Lord and saying, Lord, what do you want? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to be about? And so you saw that the man in the parable that Jesus is talking about, he says, what am I going to do now? I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to build a bigger house. I'm going to get more cars. I'm going to enjoy my life, eat, drink, and be merry. And that's what so much the drive in the United States is about. But it's not just here. It's basic human nature that doesn't ask the question, Lord, what do you want? What do you want for my life? You know, years ago, I've actually mentioned it when it first happened because I was so taken by it. I went to the Martin Luther King March and then the program afterwards. And there was a wonderful speaker that day at the program. And the speaker said, and it's really a summation of the reading for today, that most people live, get all you can, can all you get, and sit on your can. I'll never forget that. It's embedded in my mind. Get all you can. Can all you get? In other words, sit back, relax, and sit on your can. Eat, drink, and be merry. After all, is it life about me, and then I retire, and then I enjoy myself? Isn't that what life's all about? That's not God's design. It might be the worldly design, but it's not God's design. And at the end of the day, if you pursue that path, you're going to be empty inside. Vanity. All is vanity and chasing after the wind. Because everything else besides a relationship with the Lord and understanding His call on your life is temporal. Everything else is temporary. He is eternal. And what He wants for us is for us to have the big picture. It's why Jesus came and died for us. Not so that we could live a self-centered life. So that when we understand the impact of God's gracious gift and His grace poured out on our lives, that that will change us. And we learn what it means and we ask the question, what does it mean to live for you? To walk with you every day. To live your life. 
That's really the question. Instead of the agenda being me. And whatever word you want to put in there for greed. Desire, lust, hunger. What do you hunger for? What hunger do you have deep in your soul? Because Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. That's what he wants. He wants to satisfy that hunger that represents itself in greed or anything else that we would pursue instead of him. And notice what Jesus says of this man. You fool. You fool. You think you have your life planned out. You think you understand what life is about. And you don't even know your life is going to be required of you tonight. Because ultimately we don't have control. He does. He does. And you know, when Jesus said the word fool, this is probably what he had in mind. This is from Psalm 14. Fools say in their heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on humankind to see if there are any who are wise. Any who are wise. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When we seek Him, when we understand why Jesus really came, to win your salvation and win your eternal life, and to buy you back from this world. So that you understand salvation and eternal life. And you begin to live that way today. And you seek Him in all that you do. To see if there are any who are wise who seek after God. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And His righteousness. That when we give ourselves to the Lord... We recognize what Jesus has done. It changes our life. That's what's meant to happen. Shifts our priorities. Transforms our mind and how we think and how we process and what we live for. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't be a fool. Don't be fooled by the lusts, the advertisements of the world that promise you fulfillment. That it's all fleeting and temporary. Because ultimately it leaves you empty. You know, it said, the fool says in his heart there is no God. A lot of people say there's a God. Because it sounds good. Because it's as if, you know, if I believe in God and I say I believe in God, at least I punch my ticket, I'm okay. You know? But for all intents and purposes, they live practically as atheists. You know, atheism has grown in this country because a lot of people have come to the realization, you know what, I really don't believe in God anyway because I don't live anything that he calls me to live. So atheism in the last 20 years has gone from under 5% to approximately 15% in our country. Because people are coming to that realization. And the question is, do we as Christians live as practical atheists? Does God's call on our life mean anything? Do we live any differently than the world around us? Because we're meant to. 
We're meant to. We're meant to be transformed by His grace and shower His grace on others with a generous spirit. You know, Jesus goes on to talk about treasure. And the question is, do we pursue the earthly treasure? Because Jesus said you can't serve God and money. Because money ultimately becomes your focus. That you're really, in effect, living for yourself. That you become the God of your life, the God that you're serving. So you're living for this world, a practical atheist. And Jesus says where your treasure is. There's your heart. And do you understand what treasures in heaven really are? That it's other believers that we've drawn to the Lord. That it's those people whose lives we've touched because we've given ourselves away in service, in generosity. That we've made a difference in the church and in the community because we're invested, we're involved. That's where our heart is. And that's where our treasure is. And that's the treasure that lasts in heaven. That's what He wants for us. That we begin to see the big picture, the eternal picture, His picture. For what our life can be. And the treasure that he wants for us that we will ultimately and eventually reap. You know, it's interesting because while I was over in Tanzania, the clergy conference focused on discipleship. And I talked about 12 marks of discipleship, which actually I I did as a devotion for the vestry not long ago. I just expanded it into two days of teaching. Discipleship means that we're a student. We're learning from the Lord. We're learning from the life of Jesus. We're reading His Word. We're a student. A disciple means we're a follower. We're walking in the footsteps of Jesus. And if you know Jesus, what did He live? A self-sacrificial life. A life of sacrificial love. Always seeking to please the Father. To live in His light. A disciple is a servant. disciple is a life we're not just called to be Christians by name only, nominally we're called to be disciples where our lives are different and the world knows it because we don't reflect the pursuits of the world, we pursue after him we hunger for him our greed if you will is for him and the righteous life when i was in Mbay, i mentioned earlier that i went to this this uh town called takuyu let me tell you about takuyu takuyu has two natural wonders it's really fascinating the first wonder, and it was probably formed by a combination of volcanic activity and earthquakes. This river funnels into, I don't even know what to call it, a well or a hole. And all the water pours into it. It's an incredible force. And over the years, it's gone deep down. 
and they speculate that there's a cave down there that if you happen to fall in there, they'll find your body eight days later because the force of the water and the cave down there will keep your body until eventually it shoots out. Because people, and by the way, cows, have been missing for eight days before they show up downriver. And there was actually a little bridge there that goes across it. And I was standing about two feet away. The name of this hole is called Chikunu. So I was standing over Chikunu and I was saying, wow, this is incredible. What a thing. I said, are you allowed to cross that bridge? And this little guy says, for 2,000 Tanzanian shillings, you can cross that bridge. That's about a buck and a half, by the way. And I said, you mean you're going to pay me 2000 to cross the bridge? He started laughing. And I made a decision it's probably not a good idea, just in case I slip and fall in. That could be problematic. But the, the legend of this hole, the legend of Jakunu, is that what keeps you down there is not the force of the water, because they really didn't understand that at the time. But it's a serpent. Now, isn't that interesting? It's a serpent. And what is it that drew Adam and Eve away from God but a serpent? And when sin enters the world, it's a slow funnel that leads to spiritual death and separation from God. So then we go about a mile down the river. And there's the second natural phenomena of Tikuyu. And if there's a fancy Swahili name for it, I have no idea what it is. But it's called God's Bridge. And it's a natural bridge that goes over the river. The bridge is what carries you to safety. And Jesus Christ is our bridge. Jesus Christ is the one that takes us from this side to the other side. By His grace. By His mercy. And we are meant to walk that bridge. Which is the transformed life. Because that's what God wants for us. He wants us in safety. He wants us to realize that all the offers of this world end up in bankruptcy. End up in, if you will, Vanity. It's all vanity and chasing after the wind. Because ultimately it leads to nothing. What's the wind but empty? See, we hold on to this life so hard. And the things of this world, instead of opening our hands up to the blessing of God, and He wants to pour out on us His grace. Do you want to settle for the vanity that feeds your ego, that satisfies your worldly desires and leaves you empty? Or do you want God's grace that wells up in you a well of eternal life, the spring of living water, the living bread which fills you to satisfaction? 
That's what God's design is for you. I want to close by reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 2. There is nothing better for mortals than to eat and to drink and to find enjoyment in their toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from Him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Apart from Him. That's what He wants you to discover. That you would have a hunger and a thirst for Him. Because that's what satisfies. Please bow with me in prayer. As I left to Kuyu, I was blessed to have tea with a woman by the name of Cynthia. Cynthia was one of ten members of Parliament. Her husband had been dead for ten years. She had three children. And Cynthia and I made a connection because she has a special needs son by the name of Baraka. And I have a special needs sister. And as we talked, Cynthia said to me, Greg, I've served in government. I've been successful. And I want to retire from government because it's so empty and so corrupt. And I want to just be about serving the Lord. If you've been one who has lived for the world, at some point you will find it empty. And your life will be wanting. And God sent His Son, Jesus, so that what we live for would be worth His dying for. To walk His walk. To live His life. Lord God, I pray this day that you would pour your Holy Spirit out on us. That we would be your vessels, emptied of the world's call, emptied of the greed, transformed by your grace. Lord, that we might live for you and ask you, Lord, what would you have us do with all the gifts and the talents? with all the resources and blessings. What would you have us do so that we might bless you and bless others and live the life that Jesus died for? Lord, I pray this day that we would more and more discover what it means to have not treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. Fill us with your spirit now, Lord. And change us, that we would become more and more like your son Jesus, who died for our sin, who died for our sake, and gives us eternal life. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.